as well as you being in Clones, Miss Imp, The Maydays, radio producer, hypnotist. I found that. I didn't know about that. Yep. I found some audiobooks on Audible. Yep. I didn't know they were there. Yep. Oh, they make me at least £20 a year, they do. Well, <laughs> I didn't realise there was that sort of gold in Audible. Hello and welcome to My Kind of Weird, and in this podcast I'm going to interview the fascinating creative people from around Nottingham. As you can probably tell, my guest today has got a lot going on. Lloydie, also known as James Lloyd to his parents, and not many other people apparently, can be seen helping steer the good ship Missimp, Nottingham's longest running open improv group. This interview is actually the second part of my three-part Missimp special extravaganza, following on from Nick Tyler last week. With Lloydie, I started by asking him how his journey in improv comedy began. Weirdly, I discovered, and do you know what, I've got it here somewhere if I scroll up in my phone. Ooh. I discovered my old drama teacher's notes from when I was 15. Really? I was, I was late, I was 15, possibly just turning 16 at the time. And I found them the other day and I got in touch with him, Mark Adams at Ratton School in Eastbourne. Um, a wonderful drama teacher and has put on loads of plays in that town as well. And what he wrote, um, and this is really funny because I discovered this after I'd rediscovered improv. At 16, I stopped doing improv and I didn't do it again until I was 34. I'm now 44. So um, it said that I have made good progress um, uh, and he's put, I'm particularly pleased with his improvisation, which has um, been of a high standard. So the, the, the moral of the story is always listen to your drama teacher. Yes. Because I should have continued improvising in some way. I have to say, back then, there were far fewer improv companies doing anything. Uh, and there wasn't one at the university. And frankly, I could have set one up. Um, but I wouldn't have known what I was doing. Um, but the great thing is, at 34, I discovered Miss Imp in Nottingham. I discovered it because I wanted to do something theatrical. Um, I'd moved here. And I wanted to do something ideally comedy-related. And I saw Tina Fey performing with the Upright Citizens Brigade uh, on a YouTube clip. Uh, it was a, a show that they'd done, an ASCAT show that they'd done, using the Armando improv format, which is basically someone telling stories and then people doing improv off the back of it. And there she was performing with them. She did this monologue about ham. And I, for some reason, I just thought, I wonder if anyone does that in Nottingham. Um, and it wasn't necessarily monologues about ham, but, you know, improv in general. I Googled improv in Nottingham. I found Miss Imp. And then I think I'd found the thing that everything else that I'd ever done uh, was always leading towards. What is Miss Imp? Miss Imp is um, an improv theatre company and it uh, produces promotes and teaches improvised comedy throughout Nottingham, the East Midlands and beyond. So you were saying that you were looking for something theatre-ish when you got to Nottingham. What, what was that kind of feeling that you were looking for around improv? I was looking for something that was funny and because I've always been a busy person and like to have my fingers in a lot of pies, I was looking for something that was collaborative as well. So it's, so it's just not all on me. I think, particularly, you know, even in theatre, if you're going to be a, a director, then you so there's so much responsibility, and I think, and it, this happens a lot in life. It happens, you know, whether whatever you get involved with, if you show, you know, an interest and you know even a vague aptitude, um, you can you can usually go quite far. Um, if you've got interest, I, I suppose a bit of knowledge as well and some aptitude, um, you, you can get remarkably far. Um, and I think communication skills, if you add it to that, I think only help. I've, I've certainly been interviewed for jobs that I, I was less qualified for than other people and I've got, partly because I think just I can communicate at a certain level and, and I can smile a bit. 
What do you mean? Because you just said, what was it? That you can, um, as long as you show a little bit of interest and a little bit of aptitude, you can go very far. Oh, yeah. I, for example, most Cub Scout Brownie Guide troops, uh, they are oversubscribed in parents wanting to send their kids there but they have a real lack of people who are willing to lead it. So, like my mum uh, ran the brownies, uh, you know, I remember from when I was a kid, you know, she did that, and, and my dad would always step up and do things. But most people won't put themselves in any kind of a leadership role. The, the great thing about improv is it's not a one-person show. I can go out there with a whole host of other people, and it's not just on me. What is on me is for me to make the others look as good as possible. Um, that's key in improv, you know, uh, putting stuff out there, making, you know, giving gifts, making offers that are going to benefit the rest of the performance team. And yes, hopefully they'll make me look good too. And if they don't, well, great, you know, at least I've, you know, fulfilled my role. So I, I, I guess my philosophy is there are some points where you do have to take some leadership. And, you know, I, you know, I'm one of the people who helps run Miss Imp as a, as a theatre company. And thankfully that, even that's a collaborative task. There isn't just one person at the top, there are a number, um, which I, appreciate but that you've got to you've got to pick what your leadership roles are because I think if you show interest and aptitude you'll often get dragged into it somehow or another. So was it a bit more of an experience not that you were sort of burst onto the stage like hello everyone I know where we're going it was more of like any volunteers and everyone else stood back and you were left standing there in the front on your own or with uh, a bunch of others. Often that's the case I think it's also when you've got an eye for you know uh, or when you've got an idea for example, within Miss Imp for my first year, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't run anything. I didn't, you know, run the regular Thursdays or, or, you know, I, I was there learning and absorbing. That was, you know, that was my role. And I just discovered that I loved it. And then I went away and did a level one improv course at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theatre in, in New York. And that changed things because it was long form improv. And up to that point, Miss Imp had only done short form improv. Um, I'd uh, basically short form, for want of a better definition, I'm sure many people could do this better. Short form, generally speaking, is the types of games that you might have seen on the TV show Whose Lines It Anyway. Long form uh, generally is a string of scenes uh, that uh, are not where there isn't a pre-prescribed pre game. In fact, um, I'm going to have to jump in as well before we run away with it. Something that always gets overlooked. What is improv? Because hopefully people listening to this know what it is. However, I'm aware that there are a yeah. lot of people who have the vaguest of vague sense of what's going on there. So, and, and in fact, this ties in together with another question that I want to ask you. Sort of, you, you said that you joined, you were looking for something, you tried this and you fell in love with it. What is it and what made you sort of fall in love with it and what was that like? Improv or improvised comedy is comedic theatre without a script. Um, the difference between that and regular theatre is, you know, the people on stage are the directors, the people on stage are the writers, the people on stage are the editors, and the people on stage are also the performers. So you've got a situation where the process is also the product. And what you are watching is two things. You're watching a show which, in its own right, should be good, but you're also watching the process of it being made up on the spot. Why did you fall in love with it? Because we've, we've touched on already that you dabbled in it and it was following you around and tempting you back in. What was the thing that happened at Miss Imp where you were just like, hot damn? I don't know. There were, there were two kind of revelatory moments. Uh, the first was within a few weeks that I was really enjoying my Thursdays. And my boss at the time, who is actually my boss again now, um, 
uh, I remember talking to him about it and he could just see that something had caught light. It was, I think, just the, the ability to have fun and do something where I got to collaborate and make people laugh. And then I had another kind of big epiphany when I went to New York that first time and saw long form improv for the first time properly and learnt it, you know, like the, the basics for the first time. And I still say it, oh, it sounds so horrible and trite, but it was one of the greatest weeks of my life. I was in an amazing city, meeting amazing people who I am still in contact with, um, learning from incredibly talented teachers, um, uh, doing something that I have utterly fallen in love with. And it is, it's the collaboration as much as anything else. It's the fact, I mean, I always love bouncing ideas around. I always use, uh, always love doing it at work, kind of going, what about this? And then someone else says this. And then it's never one person's idea. It's never, well, I came up with this. It's like we came up with this and we can all take pride in it together. And there is something about doing improv which I, I love that part of it. Don't get me wrong, I love my moment on stage, I love being funny, but I will never be as funny on my own as I will be with other people. You were saying like, I'll, be never, I'll never be as funny on my own as I am with other people. Going down that road of like, well, if you step up, you find yourself in leadership, and if you're vaguely competent, you might find yourself starting something. And I read that you started the, three-stage course thing that uh, Miss Imp put on. Is that yes. right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, back in the day, yeah. It's interesting because we've gone from I love the fact that I can be funny with other people to I'm going to start capturing people, indoctrinating them and making them be <laughs> funny as well. I had seen how big the improv community had got in New York and it's huge and it's even bigger now than it was when I went out Define there. Define huge. Define huge. Um, I don't know exactly how many students UCB have in session at any one time. But UCB being the, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theatre. But it is upwards of 500 and it may very well be upwards of 1,000 people taking classes at any one time in New York. It is hundreds of them. Um, so, you know, when we run a level one, you know, we've got 14 people there or whatever. Well, they, they will have a number of level ones, two, three, four advanced study courses and what have you. Yeah, hundreds hundreds of people um, at any one time as well. Over the course of a year, God knows how many thousands actually do their courses. Bearing in mind, they've also got a school in LA. And also there's the pit and the magnet in New York and um, annoyance are doing classes out there. So you've got hundreds and hundreds of students taking classes on all days of the week out there. And I saw how much the their community had grown as a result of that. I realized that not that many people know what improv is. I realized that there were only a small pool, relatively speaking, of improv performers in Nottingham. And one of the things I really love doing is playing with a wide variety of people. Um, so yeah, you could say it was a selfish move in a way, but also that sense of community and the sense of joy that it brings to other people. You look at the size of the misimp community now compared to five, six, seven years ago, it's, uh, it's so much bigger. It's huge, it's brilliant, and it's growing, it's mushrooming. So where was it, uh, what was it, five years ago, five, six years ago? Five, six years ago, there would be like the number of people who would perform on a regular to semi-regular basis was between 10 and 12, maybe. And we've got that in Rhymes Against Humanity, our musical improv group, 
uh, where we improvise an entire musical for you. We've got that in that team alone. You add, you know, there's eight odd people in Vox Pops, uh, which Ben runs. There's That's um, Ben McPherson, is yes. it? Um, yes. Yeah. We've got... Um, uh, millions of Voices, the Star Wars show. There's a number of people in that who aren't in either of those two teams. You've got uh, Four Far Away, which is being born out of the student uh, improv group, and there are four of them. Uh, well, actually, there's more than four, but there's always four in the cast that do that. Uh, you've got the new all-female troupe that has, uh, Emily has just set up. There's, That's Emily Brady. Yeah, um, who does the brilliant Improv Treehouse podcast. Um, do check that out as well if you're into your improv. Yeah, <laughs> cross-promoting podcasts. Uh, so you, you look at that now, um, and there's the Smash Night Social Club, which uh, schmushes a whole load of university players and uh, missing players together. Of you course, know, there's clones. There's clones, uh, me and Liam. Uh, look, like, there's so many things happening now in Nottingham, and that is going to grow in 2018 without question. Um, so you look at that compared to six or seven years ago, um, and whilst not all of that by any means is, is down to the courses, some of it is. Um, it's down to a whole load of factors, but courses definitely help. And also it helps get that skill base up. And then when you're picking for a team or you're auditioning for a team, or when you need someone to sit in one night with your team because you've got some people ill, you've got people to pick from. Like, it's, but you know, don't get me wrong, in part it's a selfish move, I guess. But in part it's that sense of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. Because the other thing you have, apart from the making people laugh, the performance skills and the social skills that come with it, is the sense of community. We are an improv community. We are a group of people who have a, a, a common interest and purpose who get together on a regular basis. And, you know, these people are like family. That takes us back into that question of sort of leadership where all of a sudden you're not just a guy pulling together a panto for a local stage group. There's a sense that you're in a leadership role in a community. Challenges as well as um, oh crikey opportunities, yeah. and, and obviously it's not just a, a terrifying thing. But what are the challenges that you found yourself dealing with as you know the shepherd or one of the many shepherds of the even larger flock of improvisers? I'm just glad I'm not the only shepherd. I'm glad there are a number. <laughs> I was going to say first of if all, there's anything worse than a flock of sheep, it's a flock of sheep that's all trying to make stuff up as they go along. Oh, I know, right? A lot of the the challenges are. Thankfully, universally, generally universal to a lot of things. Um, it is just, you know, it's making sure that, you know, our ticketing works or the venues is the biggest challenge, actually, because Nottingham, despite being a wonderful city, is not as blessed with um, small black box style performance venues uh, as, as others are. Uh, so that that. That is a, you know, a bigger headache for us. We've got the people who want to perform. We've got an audience, you know, I mean, like Rhymes Against Humanity sold out eight shows in Nottingham last year. So there's an audience out there for us. Yeah, eight sellout shows last year. I was going to say, but, let's not but, skip that over. But can we find a blooming place to perform on a regular basis? No. So it's a nightmare. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's um, uh, uh, and finding a decent venue as well. You know, we all uh, sometimes make do and mend with with a venue but actually finding a proper theater space you know a small 50 to 100 seater space to perform in is is a difficult job um so that's one of the biggest challenges actually at the moment that's one that we're hoping to come overcome over time 
Um, and we have got some great relationships. We've got a wonderful relationship with the Nottingham Playhouse. And three times a year, we use their Neville Studio, which is a 90-odd seater, which is great. But that's always booked out um, for so many different performances. So we're really grateful for the residency there. The, the only issue is we could, we could probably be there every month, but then they, there wouldn't be the opportunity for them to showcase many different types of theatre. And, and that's what they're there for. That's the whole point. What is the challenge of trying to get in there? Is it just booking early enough and giving getting the access, or what? well, some theatres are you know have have their you know own companies that they put on shows with, and therefore they, with the festival in the world, they aren't bookable. They don't want you there because they've got their own stuff running, and that's that's cool. It's their building; they've built up their theatre. I mean, I can't demand. That's <laughs> yeah, like me going into someone's house and going, "Oh, you've got a spare bedroom." Like, well, no, actually. <laughs> so there, there are places, um, but a lot of them are either heavily booked up. The, the thing is, we would want at least a monthly thing going on there because we've, you know, we, well, as, as you will have witnessed, you know, the the Rhymes Against Humanity show at um, the um, at the Angel. Uh, which we use monthly anyway for another show. We we had a comedy festival show there. We had to turn over twenty people away at the door. I mean, it was it was completely sold out, and then and then some. Um, so we are yeah we uh, we would want somewhere on a regular basis as well because the one thing we want to do is build up people's habit. Oh, the shows always happen here rather than having them here, there, and everywhere. And at the moment, we're kind of having to do that because we can't find somewhere where we can regularly just rock up and do a show. You want to just rock up and sell it out? I mean, it seems like a reasonable request. I mean, I think that's a reasonable request. We want to rock up, sell it out, and they can keep the booze takings if they want. So that's, yeah, proving more of a challenge than I thought it would. Wow. Well, that's interesting then because it seems to put, to bring sort of the whole improv thing together you seem to be is it unreasonable to be saying that Miss Imp seems to be doing very well for itself I mean obviously it's not you know taken the country by storm just yet but you were just saying how like we're struggling we're struggling with our capacity because we are so good and we we are selling out so much that we aren't getting to enough people. You know, I mean, I, I present these as problems. Of course, they're nice problems to have. Mm. It would be much worse if we couldn't get audiences, we didn't have very many good players, all of that kind of stuff. We we're in a lucky position. They're good problems to have, but nonetheless, they are problems because, you know, the, the, the people who are shepherding it, as, as you say, those of us who are doing that, you know, we're, we're doing it for zero pounds and zero pence. Um, we're doing it because we love it. But you know, we have day jobs and things like that. So obviously it eats into your time, uh, which of course goes back to my point. This is why people don't want to do leadership roles because it eats into your time. And very often there is, you know, um, little you know, remuneration for it. Um, of course, the, the reward I get is that I see an art form that I really care about growing incredibly. And, you know, I mean, at the moment, certainly that is rewarding in and of itself. It, it, it touches on the idea, Nottingham and the East Midlands, there's been an explosion of creativity, you know, this growing group of improvisers bringing people in, bringing them their skills up, bringing more people in. It seems like the East Midlands is one of the least likely places to have that kind of community. It feels like another place that isn't London. Do you, do you, what do you think, like, the East Midlands place in the landscape of improv or comedy or creativity is we to the best of my knowledge have the largest improv community outside of london uh, london has a big one because it's a much bigger city but yeah we've um we've also got the longest serving uh, open access improv group in the whole of the uk miss imp's been going for 20 years 
Um, that's longer than any improv group that I know of in London or anywhere else in the UK that's open access where anyone can come along, play, get stage time. Um, and I think that's a, a, a huge tribute to the city. I think the city is uh, beginning to get more recognition than it used to. People are beginning to realise that we're part of the scene. But, you know, London has an arrogance about it. London is apparently top dog. Um, I, I dispute that, frankly. The amount of talent per capita that comes out of Nottingham, I think, is way higher than London. There's a hell of a claim. Do you find then that it's not just Nottingham, but the East Midlands in general as well, is either underplayed, like they are treated as if they don't have the talent and that, that there is a wasteland between these places, or that they have to punch above their weight yeah, I like to talk about the great cities of the UK because I can't stand the term the regions because it's a London term. It's like everything else is mm. a region. What, even Wales and Scotland? They're bloody countries, for goodness sake. So, so it's a bit like, oh, I, yes, in the colonies. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's a terrible, terrible attitude. Don't get me wrong. London is a great city. I have nothing against London as a city. I have something against its dominance of our country. Uh, I worked for Nottingham City Council in the marketing and communications department for over a year. Uh, so I know a fair bit about what Nottingham has to offer. Um, and it has a number of firsts. It has a number of things that people don't even realise. People don't realise that Robin from Batman and Robin was named after Robin Hood. People don't realise that ibuprofen and the MRI scanner were invented in this city. That we have the, you know, the longest serving open access improv community in the UK. Uh, they don't realise all of these things. You know, or that tarmac and the VCR were invented here. But anyway, you know, I could I could go on because I found out lots of things. I, th I think that um, Missimp is more impressive yeah. than tarmac. But, yeah, I although think, I suppose well, tarmac depends. has spread further. Yeah, yeah, quite literally. Uh, 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 well, I don't know. Some of my early shows, I, mean, <laughs> I, was, I was not that great. Um, so you know, some people might have gone out and watched the road rather than watch me. Um, but you know, the, I, I I guess I get very frustrated because that. I mean, I have gone down and seen so many things in London and been in shows in London as well, but it is very difficult to lure people outside of London. And I think that's a, a, that's a great shame. Uh, but then, you know, they're the ones missing out. I think the elephant in the room that we've kind of gently skipped over, and I feel that something that does get gently skipped over with you, is your life with radio. You mentioned that you were eight years old and you wanted to be in radio. Yeah. Take me back. Why did that? Why did an eight-year-old boy want to be in radio? Well, this is this is down to my parents, without question. Um, little did they know, but um, for the summer, uh, they, they were going to get a new TV. The old TV was on its way out. But for the summer, they they said it's only repeats on TV over the summer, so we're getting rid of the television. We'll get a new one in September, and this was like in June. And like as a kid, I was distraught. I was angry at them. I was like, this is the worst. This is, how can you do this to a child? No television in the house. And so I did what basically they wanted me to do. I went out and I, you know, played with my friends. I read things. I, I did other stuff. Oh, that sounds dreadful. Uh, yes, yeah, it sounds horrible, doesn't it? And then in the evenings, I would listen to the radio. And I would listen to a commercial station that actually, although I grew up in East Sussex, it came in from Kent. Um, and there was an evening show presenter there who, I don't know, just really connected with me for some reason. I thought he was interesting, funny, and he played interesting music. And by the end of that summer, we got the TV back. But weirdly, I watched it less in the evening than I used to because I'd want to listen to Neil on the radio. So... That was it. By the, by the age of eight, I decided 
I was going to be on the radio, and there weren't anybody that was going to stop me. <laughs> did that? Uh, did anybody stop you? Um, oh, plenty of people tried career advisors. Yes, um, career advisor wanted me to um, consider the civil service or something like that. Quite not rude. I think forthright's probably the answer because I was never that rude, but I did know what I wanted. And there were so many people. Well, it's very competitive. Well, it's very competitive. And as I found out when I was. You know, when I entered the industry, yes, it is very competitive. I lost out on jobs to other people, you know, got, you know, contracts ended and stuff like that. But I wanted to do it. I picked a media course. I did that. By the time I'd finished that, I was, you know, doing part-time shows on commercial radio. It was what I wanted to do. It was the, I think, the ability to come up with an idea and execute it quickly that appealed to me so much about the radio, particularly above, say, television, where there's such a process. Whereas if you are a radio presenter, you can come up with an idea and execute it, you know, within a few minutes. And I suppose, you know, part of that is probably the appeal of improv, except you come up with an idea and you're doing it now. You don't you don't get to pre-plan no, at all. You in don't radio, get to come up with the idea. Just do it. In don't radio, think, do. you can be planning, you know, at least a few days in advance. And then, you know, you still improvise a bit on air. I mean, that's the other thing. Although you'd plan what you were going to talk about, and you'd have, like, maybe even some points you wanted to hit, it was still a form of improvisation. So, I'm interested, because you were saying how you kind of got caught up in this sort of radio world from when you were very young. What was it like coming into contact for the radio business for the first time. How was it trying to break your way into it? I remember uh, any time I got to go near a like a professional radio station, see around it or what have you, go on an anorak tour. Um, then Anorak tour? Yeah, well, I mean, because, uh, you know, radio... What's an anorak tour? Well, you know what an anorak is, you know. So I know what an Yeah, an anorak is a waterproof. Yeah, but if you're an anorak, then you're a nerd, right? Ah. Yeah. So uh, certainly radio, uh, radio nerds are known as anoraks. So it's like, oh, yeah, the, the anorak's phoning you up. Um, so I was most definitely an anorak. Um, uh, terrible, terrible radio nerd. And so, yeah. If, if, of if course, you get the, a, I get it now. It, this was before the internet. Yeah, that was yeah. before geeky, nerdy stuff became cool. Oh yes, no, this is when it was really uncool. I mean, yeah, I was the least cool teenager. Ask anyone who was at school with me. I was, you know, if you were going to rank everybody in terms of cool, no, I was really bottom tier. I was absolutely bottom, right, right there, you know, with the, the, the least amount of cool. Um, and you know what? As painful as that made secondary school, I am so glad that I was. Because so much of that feeds into being authentic and actually having a personality that's mine and not denying myself the things that I actually liked. Because if I had and I tried to be cool, probably wouldn't have had a 20 year plus career in radio. I probably wouldn't be improvising. I probably wouldn't be writing. I probably wouldn't be doing any of the things. I probably would just have some kind of boring civil service job that I hated. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everybody kind of finds their tribe, I suppose. I remember the time when I found out I was definitely kind of uh, influenced by the, uh, I suppose, improv as a uh, as a tribal thing because there was a buzzfeed quiz on are you an improviser and it showed you a wardrobe full of converse and and check shirts um and i was like oh shit that's me and i had unconsciously 
absorbed that cultural thing without even realising it. And then Wait, I was does, like, do, does, do people who do improv wear check shirts and Converse? Oh, there is, there's quite a high ratio of them. Oh, I can um, see them all now. I think, oh, I, think, I, think, I think it peaked a few years back. I think people have diversified a little bit, but yeah, I'm, I'm very much a Converse and check shirt guy and I just thought I've got to embrace it. I'm t I, 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 I really enjoyed all that. However, I believe the question was, what was it like the first time you came into contact with um, the, uh, the radio as a profession? Yeah, I mean, it depends whether you mean you first walked into a professional radio Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, this is Lloydie. Like... He works. He does radio. Oh, wow. Well, okay. That was an interesting noise you just made. Yeah. Okay, well... <laughs> Because, of course, I did hospital radio in my last few years at, at like school when I was 15, 16. I think I got my first hospital radio show at 15, which was unusually young then. Um, I, I think they gave it to me to shut me up, basically. That, uh, that seems like a very counterproductive move. Uh, I mean, yeah, because they give me a microphone. So, you know, when you think about it. Um, no, it was more to stop me pestering them because um, I was helping out. And I was like, no, I really want to do it. No, I really want to do it. And then in, in the end, yeah. So uh, what was it like working at? Hospital radio, especially from the perspective of your, pos your lofty position now, looking back on that time, what was it like? What was it? I, do you know what? I, I, I loved, absolutely loved having that show. I did, I did Friday nights between 6 and 8 p.m. Oh, wow. Um, and I did that for about, I did that from about the age of 15 through to the age of 18. Um, so I must have done it for about three years, actually, thinking about it. And it was every Friday. And it was that, yeah, oh, yeah, I took it so seriously. But at the same time, I had the most amount of fun. Um, but I suppose that's, you know, that hospital radio is, is a step away. But, you know, I'm, you're using real equipment. There are real listeners, probably only two or three of them at a time. But nonetheless. Um, yeah, I think I, I've, you know. I've had jobs that feel like that sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> But, you know. Nonetheless, it taught me loads. Um, but I remember when like, I started helping out at the local radio station in Bournemouth, uh, 2CR, and that became more and more regular. And then I'd start reading the travel news. I was like, well, hang on a minute. This, this seems like, and I'd do that a couple of times a week during the drive show. Um, and I'd have to compile it, write it, and then read it on air. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. This is, yeah, this, is, this is more of a thing. And then I got a Sunday night show between 7 and 10. Uh, and then that became my kind of like regular show for a couple of years. I was like, oh, I guess I can say I work here now. So it was kind of more of a progression, but nonetheless, I, um, I guess when I started helping out there within, I suppose, a year, it was like, no, no, I, I kind of do kind of work here. Um, <laughs> I do, interest, you still kind of work here. I, uh, I suppose I, you could call it work. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you end up with imposter syndrome for a, a long period of time. It was just going in there, more, just going in there regularly and helping out meant that I was on that ladder and it was a professional environment and certain things were expected of me and I, I treasured that. I am always fascinated by the... Because I, I understand that like there is a churn that sort of drags people from lower positions to higher ones but that first moment where you go from I've n never touched it to I've touched it as in like I've never touched radio and now I've touched radio w was it just turning up to a radio station and just because I remember something that like when I was uh, first left school and they were like my parents were like you need a job and they told me to print out my CV and take it around all the shops because that's how you get a job and all of them said to me you apply online now and like, I, no one would take my CV. Was it, I imagine, was it before then where you could just walk up to somewhere and knock on the door and say, 
I, I, I would like. It was back in the days um, where cassettes were still a thing. Hey, it's like an MP3, but on uh, on bits of tape. What you would do is you would have like a five minute demo of you on the radio, and I had one of me on hospital radio, and I sent it in to the program controller, and he sent me a note back saying, "Why don't you come in for a chat?" And he said, "Well, I've got nothing for you, but I thought you 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 know the." I thought your demo had promise. Um, I think you've got a long way to go, but you know, you're doing the right things. And I was like, well, look, um, can I help out at all? He goes, well, give the evening show presenter a call because um, he might be looking for people to help out. You know, there's no money in it, but you know, you can help out if you want. I did, and I explained the program controller said it. He goes, yeah, well, uh, come in, we'll, you know, we'll meet you, and then maybe you could come in once or twice a week. And so I did. I, I went in twice a week, and I became, you know, a, an assistant who would do every, you know, everything and anything. But yeah, I basically sent in a cassette with a CV and what have you and got a reply saying, yeah, we think this isn't bad. Can do you still have chat? that cassette? No, I don't, thank God. Oh, thank God. No. I did have it. I did, um, uh, I, I did have it for a while, I think. I don't, I don't, do you know what? I don't really scrapbook and keep things like that. Um, I really should. Mm. Um, It'd be really but, useful for, I don't know, when someone comes to talk to you yeah, I know. for an interview on a podcast where they're going to, Oh, that's the thing. That's the thing with the past, though. You know, it was. It was. I don't know. It was, it's. It so was how did a reflection you... of me then? I suppose. What's interesting is I. Um, I sent that cassette to the program controller in October nineteen ninety two and got in to two CR as basically an unpaid intern. Fifteen years later, I walked through the doors as program controller of that radio station. Wow. I've been elsewhere. I've been elsewhere in between. Um, and then I came back and they asked me. And so, yeah, I did that for a year. It was technically it was a maternity cover. And then I moved to Nottingham. To be honest, that that I don't I don't know if I can go anywhere after that. I feel like genuinely that is the sort of like mic drop. Thank you. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. If I not, guess I guess that the thing is at the very beginning, you said, yeah, I've got my fingers in a lot of pies and, and I really have. So, you know, you, you, could, you, can take, you can take it in many different directions. I, you know, I can reminisce about the time that I played Twister with Justin Timberlake, um, or I uh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, or I could, I could talk about um, when I knocked my first doors in a political, you know, campaign. And, no, no, and no, we, no, no, uh, no, okay. Uh, or, or knocked I could... first doors in a political campaign. Shut up. You played Twister with Justin Timberlake. Yeah, yeah, well... well what do you mean, yeah, yeah? Well, look, uh, <laughs> uh, at a radio station, when, you, when you're on a show where you're doing interviews, uh, they'll bring around lots of very non-famous people for you to interview, generally speaking, particularly, you know, if you're not on one of the big national stations. And at the time, NSYNC were a group that had broken Germany but weren't doing very well in the US or the UK. So I interviewed them a couple of times... One time I got them to play Twister um, because um, it seemed a fun way of doing an interview. I went out for a Chinese meal with them after a Smash Hits tour thing. Um, so yeah, I've been for a Chinese with NSYNC. That who includes won? Going, um, who won? Well, um, it was... Uh, oh, I can't remember, to be honest. Was they, he any good at it? I imagine he would be. He seems to be the kind of guy all, who would be immaculate They were all hilarious and very, very good at that. Um, uh, and you seem the kind of... No offence, but... You seem the kind of guy who would lose at Twister to Justin Timberlake. Oh, I was spinning the wheel. Because um, they would answer the questions depending on what colour the, the thing pointed to, you see. So, Very clever, I like you know, it. 
in, uh, and you know, I was, I was the interviewer. Something I'm interested in. I am a man who is also looking to stick his fingers into many pies. How do you do it without losing your mind? Just put, put your fingers in all those pies. Yeah. And the, the ones that seem like, oh, this is, this is a nice pie to be in. Ooh. Stay with those pies. Look for the good pies. Always look for the good Always pies. Look, yeah. That is some of the best life advice that you'll ever get. <laughs> Always look, look for, for the, the good, good pies. pies. Yeah. There you go. Lloydy James Lloyd, thank you very much for your time. No, thank you. You've been listening to My Kind of Weird. If you'd like to help me shine some light on the creative community in Nottingham, consider supporting me on patreon.com. For a tiny donation each month, not only can you treat the artists of the city like stars, but also give a free podcast to the good people of Nottingham. For $5 a month, you can get access to cheeky little extras, including outtakes, extra content, and possibly much more to come. I've been Richard Minkley, my guest was Lloydie, and our theme song is Puzzle Pieces by Lee Rosevere. Thank you for listening. <laughs>